Hello there. You're listening to the Box Office Show. I'm Ryan Hill. And I'm Dylan Johnson. Today we're going to be talking about the box office numbers from last weekend and our box office predictions for this upcoming weekend. We'll also be taking a look at the original Jurassic Park trilogy in honor of the release of the finale to the Jurassic World trilogy and allegedly the finale to the franchise as a whole, Jurassic World Dominion. finish my pizza we can talk about the news <laughs> we exactly. have a uh, can just wrapped up right am i right in saying that yeah about a week ago yeah about a week ago yep so we can talk about the uh, biggest hits that happened there and what to look out for when they start going to wide release a lot of these i've never heard of one i have so the first one we want to talk about is close it just got picked up by a24 i have no mm-hmm. idea what it is but it won the grand prix it did do that. I believe it's close because it's about like two boys that have a close friendship and then they get you to say like middle close, school age. I say close. Well, I think we'll the, see who's right when we watch it. <laughs> I think the story subject, like the story itself, will definitely speak to it being about closeness, but okay. Could be close. Well, maybe they're so close, close the to each other that to the rest of the world, they are closed off. Wow, it's true. They go yeah. from being close together to them being closed off from each other. Wow. Incredible. Well, that would be dramatic, yeah. That's, well, that's a movie go. right there. And that's why it got Grand that's why Prix. why it won the Grand Prix, yeah. It had a very dramatic story to it. <laughs> Next is Decision to Leave, which won Best Director. Uh, this comes from Park Wan Chuk, I believe, oh, um, out of Korea, and it was picked up by movie. So it is also going to certainly hit theaters in the united states um so that will be one to look for is going to be accessible these other ones i'm not too sure if they will be movie is like the streaming service thing distributor oh it is a streaming service that's what i thought yeah but i believe they're gonna put it in theaters for like a limited release or Or they'll keep it exclusively for themselves there's also a tubi i think i think yes there is a tubi as well a tubi and a movie indeed but yeah, so both of those, at least close for sure, will be in theaters. Decision to leave, I imagine they would want to put that in there as well and then send it to their little streaming joint. But either way, those will be accessible. These next films, not sure if they will be. EO won the jury prize, and it's a documentary about a donkey. So we will see if that ends up hitting theaters around these parts. But it was enjoyed by the people at Cannes Film Festival. How do you say the name? EO. So close to Eeyore. I know, right? So close. They're playing on that. Maybe that's how they'll draw people in. They make us think it's a Eeyore yeah. origin, film, origin film. There's nothing more interesting than a documentary about a depressed donkey. Right? <clears throat> I'd watch that. Uh, also on the radar, the winner of Best Actress, Holy Spider. I also don't know what that is. Indeed, that's a like crime thriller based on a real story of oh, cool. an Iranian serial serial killer who went Whoa. and killed a bunch of prostitutes and sex workers. Whoa. Oh wait, I have heard of this. I just looked it yeah. up. That's cool. 
Yeah, I'll watch that. <laughs> now, the one that I have heard of, the winner of the Palme d'Or at Cannes, Triangle of Sadness. Mm-hmm. This one I'm looking forward to. It's got Woody Harrelson. It's about a bunch of rich people on a like a yacht in uh, some kind of rich people place where people go to be rich on yachts. And then the yacht crashes because Woody Harrelson's a drunk, and then they're all stuck somewhere. Right. It sounds awesome. It's Ruben Oslin. He's the same guy who did the uh, Square, and did he also do Force, Force Majeure? Yeah, Force Majeure. I, I've seen Force Majeure, and I really like it. Yeah, I don't so, love it, but I really like it. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely one to look out for. Certainly, I think that'll get picked up at some point as well. Um, but yeah, moving on to from Cannes Film Festival. To the MTV Awards, quite a difference Equal there. Equal in prestige. <laughs> yeah, both are very acclaimed. A great honor to win each. Um, but yeah, so the MTV Awards, Tom Holland and Zendaya, their fans were, they went out and they voted like crazy. And they Tom sure Holland did. and Zendaya won everything they were up for, pretty much. Spider-Man won Best Film, Euphoria won Best Show, and then nice. each of them won Best Actor for their respective division, film and TV. Cool. That's great. Also, winner is uh, Cassie and Maddie from Euphoria. They won Best Fight, as they should. To be fair, yeah, definitely well deserved. Yeah, but it was, it was that, a great win. Is that like a recurring award though that they have Best Fight, or did they create it just so that they could award? I have no Cassie idea. And I know they have Best Kiss. Mm-hmm. Very true. Uh, Loki also won a little bit. Sophia Di Martino who played Sylvie, won for Best Breakout Performance. And her, Tom Hiddleston and Owen Wilson, won for Best Team. So Loki got some representation there. Yeah, it did. Yeah, Best Fight is something they do every year. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. It's supposed to be like for like, like actors who do like stunts in like big <laughs> fights and like big blockbuster movies. But uh, you can't top the work they did in Euphoria Season 2. I mean, that was a fight. For sure. <laughs> Truly what did, what did What did Maddie say? Oh, someone needs to take this bitch down. Is that what she said? Yeah, I think so. Oh, well, I think that came later, though. That was in, I think the, well, oh, I guess, yeah, they, they had two about, fights. Yeah, which fight are they talking about? The one where she first learns that she's having sex with Nate or the one right. after the play? I guess the second it's one was the an second actual one, fight. She yeah. slams her into the wall and stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's got to be that one. Yeah. The other one was just her getting torn up Hardcore. verbally. So. Hardcore. Yeah. Okay, for trailer show. talk. Trailer talk. Did you see the Black Adam trailer? I sure did. And what'd you think? Mid. Mid? Okay. I sort yeah. of agree. It looks quite generic, and I'm a little worried about it. Oh, um, you should. You should. Yeah, it definitely seems like one that most people would pass on. So that's yep. frightening. Uh, but Prey, a trailer for that drop, is going to be a film in the Predator franchise, but they go back like 300 years or something to mm-hmm. like colonial times and whatnot. Um, so that looks pretty interesting. Did you see the trailer for that? I did not. I have no interest in the Predator series. Dang, I don't really either, but I have always thought of that idea of like, oh, what if a Predator arrived way back then, like during either prehistoric times or just hundreds of years ago, how would they deal with that? Um, And so I think it is an interesting premise. And then the trailer that they had didn't look too bad. So maybe something to be on the lookout for. But of course, it's on Hulu. So I guess they're not that confident in it being a theatrical release. Yeah, I was doing the thing where I was on the IMDb app just scrolling through all the new trailers that had dropped over the weekend because there had been like a few and I was watching the Black Adam trailer and I was watching the final trailer for something came out. Uh, 
God, I can't remember what it was, but it was just a bunch of trailers in a row. And I got to the Prey trailer and I just swiped and skipped right past it because I just did not care. I didn't realize wow. we were going to talk about it. If, you, if I had known, I would have uh, gotcha. checked it out. In other Go news, back something, and I, revisit it then. Yeah, I, I'll check it out, sure. But I'm no interest in the Predator series. I do like the name Prey. I think that's funny. I think mm-hmm. that's very clever. But uh, speaking of titles, uh, we got some news a little on, my, on the iPhone. They have little uh, blurbs. I don't know the actual term, but you can take like an app and if it has a blurb for it, you can put it on your homepage that has like, so for the IMDb one, I have a little section that has all the news blurbs on it. Mm-hmm. It's just a big square that takes up four app icons on my homepage that has all the IMDb news. And so I saw this on there and that's how I know about it. <laughs> but uh, Joker 2 has been confirmed and a title has been revealed. It's Joker. And then the subtitle is Folie à deux. Folie à deux. I don't know if that title is going to stick, but right. it's the current title for the sequel. Todd Phillips posted uh, pictures on Instagram of the cover page for the script with that title on it, and then another picture of Joaquin Phoenix reading the script. So it is in the works and is most guaranteed to, as long as Joaquin Phoenix agrees to do it, which he will, to be made because the first one made over a billion dollars. So they're going to they're gonna do it. Like, Exactly, when we makes a yeah. billion dollars and the people want to make a sequel, you're going to let them make a sequel. Like, come on. Right. Especially that's, if that's what like they teach Joaquin... you at, at movie business school. <laughs> if it makes yes. billion, you make another. Which, as we know, since we have degrees and we have graduated, so we are experts on yeah. that matter. Mm-hmm. That's what that's what I learned from uh, Lisa Miller's class. Nice name. Drop. It make billion. You make two. <laughs> uh, make more Nez- billion. Exactly. Well, talking about another franchise that never really did quite make a billion, but it has been successful, especially its most recent outing, the Scream franchise. The star of that one isn't returning, and they will be going forward with it because they have a bunch of other characters they can utilize. But Nev Campbell, yeah. as Sydney Prescott, apparently is not going to return because the offer they gave her, she did not feel was representative of the worth she gives to the franchise. So I'm split on this. On one side, I think good for her. She should know her worth and be powerful and make that decision. But on the other mm-hmm. side, I haven't seen Nev Campbell do anything in a very <laughs> long time. So I don't think she has enough leverage to make this move. I don't know. I'm kind of split, you know? I you know agree with saying? you there. Like, good for her for being like, you know what? I'm going to pass on this because it's not the money that I believe I should be receiving. But... Yeah, again, I don't know what else she's got going on for her. And it sucks because then that means story-wise, Scream 6 will take a hit because now they're going to have to write her out of it um, when yeah. otherwise she, she been in all was going to be included. Um, I think she was not in at least one. Like either Scream one. 3 or 4, she was not in. But yeah, every other one she was in. I want to know what the amount was they offered so that I know if it was like whether it was insultingly low or if she's overvaluing herself by a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to know what that amount was. Like, if, if it was like, we'll give you a hundred grand, I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's way too low. But if yeah. it's like, well, we offered her, you know, three million dollars and she wanted 10. I'd be like, come on, Nev. <laughs> right, come on. Exactly. That would be fun to know. We'll see if that ever. What other happens. offers are you getting that are three million dollars? But at the same time, mm-hmm. if it was low, like absurdly low, I'd be like, of course, you shouldn't take it. Like, 
you could probably get a hundred thousand dollar roll in something else. You're Nev Campbell. Like that's low. Don't take what you're not worth, but also don't overvalue yourself. I just I can't make a judgment because I don't know what the price was. Exactly. Yeah. And we probably won't learn that ever. Maybe she'll release it. I want to know. But uh, in other news, we are returning to the Ezra Miller escapades. This is part three in Ezra Miller's craziness. <laughs> so uh, it's just been revealed that he has been accused of grooming and manipulating an 18-year-old, quote, friend. Indeed. Her name Who... is yeah, go her ahead. name is Tokata Iron Eyes, and she was 12 when she first met Ezra Miller. 12. And the parents allege that Miller gave her drugs and alcohol while she was still a teenager. That sounds a lot like grooming to me. I don't know about you, Ryan. Agreed, yeah. But if I was making a leap here, and it's not a big leap, the leap would be grooming. Now, Mm -hmm. she and her family fled to Hawaii to... Uh, what they claim as get away from Ezra Miller. And what we know is that Ezra Miller has been arrested not once, but twice now in Hawaii. Very recently. I wonder mm-hmm. what he's doing there. So it just seems like it just keeps getting worse for the Flash. It just yeah. uh, just keeps keeps on getting worse. Have, are you ever going to watch Warner Fantastic Brothers? Beasts 3? No. So I'm going to spoil it. Uh, they're killing him off. So really? basically, <laughs> it, it, they reveal that like the the power that he has inside of him is starting to finally do what it's supposed to do because he's supposed he has a, the power in him that like is supposed to kill him by like seven, but he outlived mm-hmm. it, and and then they're now they're writing it in that it's finally killing him. So at the end of it, he's very sickly and dying, and I think maybe they were like towing the line of like oh maybe he's not that bad, maybe we can save the situation. If they're gonna make another Fantastic Beast movie, which they shouldn't, I think he's just gonna die. I think he's just going right. to be dead by the time the movie starts. Yeah, that seems very likely because Warner Brothers, the headaches that those executives are going through after the oh, Amber Heard decision and now a third crazy revelation about Ezra Miller. It's just insane. It's just truly crazy. So yeah, uh, Dakota Iron Eyes has released a statement. She is defending Ezra Miller, saying that she's actually oh, no. not being manipulated by, and she referred to him as a comrade, which I love is funny. Comrade Ezra hey, Miller. Comrade Ezra. Uh, <laughs> He's a good friend. Indeed. You bring me she, beer. <laughs> she says that it's her parents that are actually the manipulative ones. She was subject to manipulation oh, and abuse and all this stuff in her household. She's currently an adult. Her choices are her own. She doesn't need them butting in or having any court intervention or anything like that. So that's what she's saying. But of course, you can read that as wow, what a great spell Ezra has been able to cast over her with his grooming because she's defending him so avidly. So it's, yeah, not a great situation. We'll see how that ends up playing out. It certainly does not look good. The optics are very bad on that. But we'll see if any, like, true criminal uh, charges are brought. I doubt Mm -hmm. it in this case, but certainly, again, another massive PR hit. Not good. But yeah. moving on to the box office breakdown for June 3rd to June 5th, Top Gun Maverick, in its quest for box office domination, has just mm-hmm. cleared miracle number two. It made oh, yeah, $90 million in its second Ooh. weekend. $90 million, Killer. Which, as you know, is higher than 
all of our predictions for its opening weekend. In its second yeah. weekend, it was able to hit 90 million. That's a 29% drop in the second weekend, which is the best hold ever. Bar none. Ever. It's just crazy. It's insane. Tom Cruise, you son of a gun. I know. The man, he's a mad. He a top outgrossed No Way Home's second weekend, which was 84 million. My of God. course, that film opened to like 260 million or something, the second best opening ever. It was able to beat that out in its second weekend. Currently, it's over 300 million domestic. Currently, it's over 557 million worldwide. So it's already Tom Cruise's highest grossing film domestically. It's nice. well on his way to become the highest grossing film worldwide because at this point, 500 million domestic, that's happening. It's going to beat out Batman for sure, Doctor Strange for sure, even Jurassic World at this point. It's going to beat out that domestically. Can't has a shot at getting close to whatever Black Panther and Avatar do domestically, which is nuts. And worldwide, it's going to do the same thing. It's going to get at least 850 million. People are saying Billion Dollar Club is in view. It is How very, very possible. How did we miss this on our fucking draft? No one, no one expected this. Nobody expected this. Right. let me ask you a question about the rules. So for our, for our replacement, can we pick a movie that's already come out? No, because we so dibs on Top Gun. <laughs> no, we made that rule of it has to your pick. Like you could do yeah, it yeah, the yeah, day yeah. before it comes out, but once it comes out, it's no longer eligible to be taken up by your wild card pick. But yeah, this would have been had you chosen this instead of Bullet Train, bro. What a you would have been amazing pick up. for real because this is nuts. It legitimately it oh it's gonna hit eight hundred million for sure. Really likely to get 900 million worldwide. It looks like it's getting a billion. It's just insane. Damn Scientologists. They've done it again. Tom Cruise. (laughs) You son of a bitch. Anyway, in second is Doctor Strange. It made 9 million. That's disastrous. Uh, That is 388 million domestic. And uh, Top Gun is going to get to 400 million first, even though it came out after Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Truly, that is truly, crazy. It really is. It's truly a phenomenal run that Top Gun is having. Just astonishing. Uh, but yeah, Bob's Burgers after that, 4.6 million. Uh, the Bad Guys, 3.3 million. Downton Abbey, 3.2 million. Everything Everywhere All at Once, 2 million. Still holding on to spot number six. That is 60 million domestic for over 11 weeks. That is very impressive for a relatively low budget. Relatively independent film released from A24. Still their best uh, release so far. Exactly. Incredible for everything it, everywhere all at once. It just during this week, it actually crossed 80 million worldwide. And it has now become A24's biggest release ever worldwide included. It beat out Hereditary, which had 80 million. So look at that. Nice. It's number one film all around, domestically and worldwide. Nice. Indeed. Vikram seven uh 1.7 million i think it's just vikram 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 who knows close close what's it matter, sonic right? 2 1.7 million you sure it's not sanic 2 sanic sanic that one should be we should get a we got supersonic now we get a sanic in there the lost city 1.3 million crimes of the future 1.1 million is this his opening weekend or was that last week no this is the opening weekend Bro, we what did we say like six or seven each? That's crazy. One point one. 
I mean, right. there's only 773 theaters, but come on, Cronenberg. That's bad. Yeah, no definitely. advertising, I swear. I didn't see anything for it anywhere. Yeah, no, it was definitely a very, very limited release in every sense. Yeah, and that's crazy. An, an honorable mention to Morbius, which had a re-release this past weekend. I don't really think it's because of this, but people were saying it is because of the whole it's Mormon time. Like it was getting memed up at, like crazy on social media. And was so, that a real thing in the movie or? No, it was, was not said. It's Mormon time is never said. But okay. there's been a bunch of jokes so, of people saying like using morb as a verb and yeah. things like that. So Alexa was wondering because she saw the memes and she was wondering if it was actually in the movie. And I was like, oh, you can ask Ryan. He saw it. And then I went, oh, maybe you can't because he fell asleep. I did Maybe answer ask him. the question. She did ask, and I did say, no, it's not in the oh, movie. That's funny. It's not in the movie. But yeah, they all did this. And Jared Leto actually on his like Twitter or something posted a thing of him reading a script <laughs> similar to um the whole Joaquin Phoenix thing of like him reading a script. Someone comes in and is like, Oh, what you reading there? And he tries to hide it, and it's Morbius 2. It's Morbin time. That was what he was doing. <laughs> you know, that was kind of funny. <laughs> it is funny. But yeah, that was to promote this re-release which they put in a thousand theaters and yet it only had 299 dollars per theater because it made 310,000 total which is horrible. abysmal it bombed so again horrible. and everyone they was saying, re-released it and it <laughs> bombed everyone's saying like the funniest thing we could do is make them think on social media we actually love morbius so that they re-release it and then it flops again that so is the funniest thing you could do <laughs> so yeah morbius so it seems like uh, its story has ended. The book has closed on it. Unless on a fateful day, we learn of Morbius 2 truly happening. And everyone yeah. in the world will rejoice. Horrible. Now it's time for our box office predictions for June 10th to the 12th. Uh, the big thing coming out this weekend is Jurassic World Dominion. It is its first weekend out. There is a four-year gap since Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, which is crazy because I can't believe that movie came out before I was even in college and now I'm graduated college. And uh, the original trio, uh, Jeff Goldblum, Laura Dern, Sam Neill, they're all returning all together at once for the first time since the first movie. But bad reviews. Uh-oh. 36% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's the lowest of the franchise. It sure is. And you like it when I read the bullet points word for word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You did a great job. It was good line reading. Um, the original Jurassic World opened to $208 million, which, by the way, was the biggest opening weekend ever at that point. And so it got beat out a few months later by The Force Awakens. Yeah. And Jurassic World 2 had $148 million in its opening weekend. Still nothing to sneeze at there, but certainly a drop. So now with Jurassic World Dominion, which is one of the films in your roster, one of the major films in your roster that you're uh, counting on, really. Mm -hmm. What do you think this one will get for its opening weekend, given that it is not having the greatest reviews? So people are saying that it, the people are being very, very conservative and saying that it might not even cross 100 million because it's still I mean, it's not COVID times really anymore, but it's still lingering effects of COVID. And also it has terrible, terrible, terrible reviews. So like that bad word of mouth might keep people from going to see it. So they're saying it might be the worst opening ever. But Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom had Thursday previews of 15 million and it made 148. Now, that's not like the strongest indicator, like the Thursday previews aren't like the biggest indicator for how a movie's going to do over the weekend, but we are recording this on Friday, the 10th, 
And the Thursday previews for Jurassic World Dominion were 18 million. Mm-hmm. So I feel like the appeal of the three of them returning all together at once, regardless of the fact that it has just a god awful review, I think people are still going to go out just to see them all come together again. I'm going to predict 135. Gotcha. 135. I agree with you there of the novelty of seeing the original gang back together for the first time uh, and the fact that it's the opening weekend. So word of mouth usually Mm -hmm. isn't going to affect the opening weekend that much. It's usually the second weekend that you see the major drop off if it's bad or a good hold if it's a really good film. So I think, yeah, in the opening weekend, people that just want to go see, regardless of the reviews, just want to see them return. uh, I think they're still going to go out for it. So I Mm -hmm. think I'm going to go even higher than you. Which is funny Whoa. since this is your film. I think it I can. It. I think it'll get over 140 million, oh. and I think it can get to 150 million. I think it's possible. So somewhere right. in that range, I think it's gonna settle. All right. Well, we'll have to wait and find out. The other thing coming out this weekend is the thing that came out two weekends ago, top, <laughs> or last weekend? No, two weekends ago. Top Gun Maverick in its third weekend. What do you think it's going to do? I mean, we thought it was going to be around 50 million this past weekend, but it held strong at 90, amazingly well, 29% drop. Is it going to have that strong of a hold again this weekend, Ryan, or is Jurassic World going to take a bite out of its franchise material? Wow. That was some great language there to tie in with the movies coming out. I appreciate it. Good job. Thank you. Thank you. I think it'll work hard on that. I was thinking about that (laughs) the entire time you were talking about Jurassic World. Is that true? (laughs) Yes. I was like, how am I going to segue this perfectly? Well, I I will be honest, I did steal that take a bite thing from the article I read where it said uh, Jurassic World takes a bite (laughs) out of Thursday previews with 18 million. Well, that's the thing. So I'm a thief. We used to do that a little bit more of like doing a play on the words of whatever the film is. But Deadline, like they do that same thing. And every single time I see it, it kills a piece of me. So I have like refused to do that (laughs) most often. The, The one that I did, though, the second miracle, like miracle number two. That's that pretty one. good. Because that one is like, like that an one. actual reference to the film. It's not just a surface yeah. level, like, oh, they fly, so they're flying. Top Gun high. Maverick rides its own tail in second weekend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Flying like high with, with 90 million. Yeah, so... Only a 29% drop. That's lower than the hard deck. <laughs> I was just about to bring up the hard deck thing. Well, that um, was good. That was pretty good. That was that three back to back. Again, the hard deck is good. I like that sort of stuff. Uh, I'm going to say 55 million. I say it has a good hold. It lost all of its premium screens and whatnot. So the IMAX mm. and 40X, which I think really yeah. did this film a favor. So yeah. I could see it falling to like 50 million. But yeah, I'd say 55 million. Um, it'd be crazy if it got over 60 million. That would but be nuts. it's very possible because this film has been doing some amazing record-breaking stuff. I'm going to be a bit more uh, conservative than you. I'm going to say 47. I'm going to say 47. I think Jurassic World is going to take a real chunk of its uh, earnings. I think Jurassic World is going to be drawing more people away from Top Gun Maverick, whereas last week it didn't have any real competition. Very true. So I'm going to go with 47. Gotcha. Max. But 47. again, I've been wrong twice in a row now. <laughs> by a lot. <laughs> by a lot. True. So it would be funny if it, it goes up. It's $120 million next weekend. <laughs> that would be wild. Yeah, Tom Cruise has been defying everyone's expectations, so... I wouldn't it's just Tom Cruise. He just keeps buying tickets himself. <laughs> That's true. To bump up the numbers. He said, every Scientologist, I need you to buy multiple, multiple, multiple buy tickets. Buy 10 tickets each. 20 tickets each. 
do not worry about groceries. Do not worry about your gas. Just go buy Taco Maverick tickets now. Our lizard god will ascend you into our afterlife if you buy Top Gun Maverick tickets. Exactly. Do it now. All right. We will now talk about the Jurassic Park trilogy, starting off with none other than the classic, the original, the first one to do it and do it best. Jurassic Park from 1993, director Steven Spielberg, with the screenplay from Michael Crichton, who did the book, of book. course, and then David Cope, Cop? Kep. Kep. It's Kep. I've always thought it was Kep, every time I read it. But yeah. I've been known to be wrong. Look at those Top Gun Maverick predictions. <laughs> that is true. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it is Coep. I think you're very right that it's Kep here, though. It doesn't seem I like it's like it's Kep. Um, but yeah, so talking about the box office of this one, this was a true blockbuster hit in its day 357 million domestic and 978 million worldwide which made it the highest grossing film at that point taken down by titanic a few years later the 20-year anniversary uh re-release pushed it over a billion because it made 118 million in that re-release which is crazy for a re-release that is crazy yeah uh and so technically like it's jurassic the, park on the big screen dude i know I've it's hard to resist to it, bro i always want to see it on the big screen in dolby in Dolby, Ryan? Yeah, that would be amazing. They better be do amazing. that for a 30-year anniversary. I'm oh, yeah, that is coming that up. Sure. Oh, yeah. You and me both. We Let's will be it. right there. It's another 100 million. They just do it every 10 years. <laughs> another 100 million. They really should. What uh, an easy but, way to make 100, like $100 million. You just re-release a movie that's already made, that's already profited, and you make $100 million from it. Good for you, Universal. Exactly, exactly. All right, so what are your overall impressions? So uh, I am an employee of <laughs> Universal Studios, so I am a little biased, and I do technically work in the Jurassic Park parking garage, so I'm definitely a little biased. Uh, and every day at work, I hear the Jurassic Park theme, so it's definitely a part of my life a lot. Five days a week, I hear David Attenborough say, Welcome to Jurassic Park, just on a loop. Mm-hmm. They blast it in the garage on a loop. But uh, honestly, my honest impressions, being completely honest, it's, it's great. Amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's flawless throughout. I think it's another Spielberg classic up there with Rages of the Lost Ark and E.T. and Jaws. I think it's just flawlessly, flawlessly done through. So I watched this movie when I was very young, probably 12 or 13. It was one of the first movies that I like was like it was one of the first ones when I decided I wanted to start watching more movies because I wanted to make movies in the future and I wanted to watch all the classics. Jurassic Park was one of the first ones that I had watched because it was on Netflix and just <laughs> blew my mind, just blew my mind how great it was. And then after that, I bought the book and I read the book. And the book's amazing. Also blew my mind. Like they're already building off of something great. Like that book is killer. And so it would be hard to mess up that movie. But, I mean, Steven Spielberg couldn't mess it up. Of course he couldn't. He made it better. It's awesome. It's so epic and large and grand. And the special effects are fantastic. The pacing is fantastic. The suspense is fantastic. And what's so great about this movie that they can't match in any other ones, and we'll get there, the spectacle is fantastic. The the amazement, the wonder that that befalls this idea of dinosaurs being real in our current day. They do it so fantastic. That reveal 
in the very so first 30-ish minutes of the movie when you first see the dinosaurs. Amazing. The opening sequence where it, it, it like sets the tone for the latter half of the movie before you have that whole 30 minutes of opening that's very slow and very uh, set up-y in a way. Mm-hmm. You have that opening scene with a velociraptor. Incredible. Just very tense, very awesome. What's interesting, not in the book. The opening scene in the book is the guy showing up at a nearby island and the hospital workers that are there have to treat him and they're wondering what these giant bites on his leg are Mm. and what all the saliva is on his leg. So that's how the book starts. And in the movie, it starts with the actual attack itself, which I always thought was kind of neat. But at the same time, when you read the book, it's very different from the movie. Like the plot is very different. They changed a lot for the book, for the movie, which in a way works better. Like you have to cut out a lot in order to make it fit better. And it just flows more naturally than it would have if they had adapted the book word for word, straight for straight. Mm -hmm. So it definitely works better the way they changed it. And I think Michael Crichton knew that when he was writing the script. And I think David Kep knew that when he was adapting the script with Michael Crichton. I think they worked really well together to do that. But this movie just blows my mind. It blows my mind every time I watch it. I mean, just the feeling you get when you hear that theme, it's fantastic. Very true. Yeah, and I think this is, it just has to be one of the top five best concepts of all time, if not like the, like, come on, the idea of somebody using genetics to bring back dinosaurs mm-hmm. after 65 million years to bring them oh, back. Yeah. And then also the way of framing it as an amusement park, like that's the way that they would be brought mm-hmm. back, not necessarily just like scientists doing it for scientists sake, but they're yeah. doing it for entertainment purposes. Like that's the only way somebody would be able to bring them back. Oh, which yeah. Michael Crichton talks about like that was his big revelation when he first had the idea. It's like, who would actually do this? It would be a very expensive process. How would they be able to do it? Oh, we turn it into amusement, into entertainment. Mm-hmm. So that that whole thing is just brilliant. So a brilliant premise. And then the way that Spielberg frames it, which I haven't read the book, but I imagine one of the biggest differences because it's a lot more hardcore in the book, right? Like, a lot yeah. more people get killed off. It's a lot, a lot more, more violent, a lot more yeah. graphic. Yeah, they decided to make this more of a film that could be enjoyed by families and is accessible to children. So it's mm-hmm. this amazing four-quadrant piece that, as a kid, you love it, you enjoy it, because, as you said, yeah. the wonder aspect of it is just so brilliant. And then even as you get older, you still are sucked into the the wonder factor of it, but you're yeah. also able to appreciate a lot of the themes that are woven throughout the film Um, and so you're able to enjoy the pure spectacle of it but then you also get to enjoy the little philosophical and ethical parts of it that are included in there as well because it is such Mm -hmm. a fascinating idea to dissect so yeah as you said this is it's just great it's like the perfect blockbuster it truly is Mm -hmm. i think the thing i miss about old Spielberg compared to new Spielberg is like the respect and admiration for practical effects. Mm -hmm. And I think this movie works so well because he still has that admiration and respect and whatnot, but he also is aware of the ability to do it better with CGI. And so he blends the two in a way that works really, really well in the movie. Like that T-Rex intro, the combination of it being practical in some shots and how great that looks like the close-ups on it versus the wide shots where it is, you know, when it's running and it's a CGI dinosaur, it still looks great. 
Absolutely. Like it, it blends seamlessly. There is some like faults with some of the dinosaurs earlier in the movie and some of the dinosaurs with the velociraptors and stuff when they're running around and stuff. Like there, it definitely falls flat sometimes, but overall this was definitely like a leap in CGI technology. And he, he just mastered the blending of the CGI and the practical and gave them both the respect that they deserve. And that's right. why it works so well. Whereas later Spielberg kind of went very heavy on CGI. And I don't have a problem with going heavy on CGI, but there was less of like a spectacle with that stuff. You know what I mean? Like you watch this giant real animatronic T-Rex tear through the car and like push down the plexiglass on the kids. Mm-hmm. And it just feels so real and terrifying. That is fantastic. But you watch like Ready Player One and it just, or like the BFG, and it just right. feels so very like, I don't know. Yeah. Artificial. Lack of spectacle. Hollow. Lack yeah. of, spe- yeah, hollow. That's a good word for it, hollow. But mm-hmm. like, like looking at like his practical stuff with Jaws and E.T. and Raiders of the Lost Ark, it, it like blends in with the story in a way that it doesn't overtake it but it still respects how amazing that spectacle is of seeing something real happen that you didn't think you'd ever watch on a screen. And he copied that with CGI in Jurassic Park. He copied that spectacle of like, yeah, I know that the audience knows that these dinosaurs aren't real and that they're computer created, but we can still get a spectacle out of it by doing the best we can with the technology that we have and by using other filmmaking techniques in camera to elevate the CGI that is uh, limited by the technology of the time. Right. Which is fantastic. Yeah, yeah I agree. Genius, the blending, genius, genius, genius. The blending of those practical effects and the CG is amazing. And it's also part of why this is such an important film, not just like an incredible rock blockbuster, but a legitimately crucial film in cinema history is the fact that it yeah. was the pioneer of a lot of the CG technology. Like there's that story... Um, did you see like on Netflix they have the movies that made us? They have an episode yeah. for Jurassic Park and they talk Carlos about Carlos has been watching that show, that series. Or he watched the whole thing, I think, while he was at work. Yeah. So he, good now he wants to watch a bunch of movies. And I watched because I was going through that because they dropped a new season not too long ago. I mm-hmm. guess it was a while ago at this point. But there's an episode yeah. on Jurassic Park, and then I watched that and I was like, dude, I just love Jurassic Park so much. So I went and watched the movie right after that. And it was great to see some of those things they talk about. But in that yeah. uh that little episode, they talk about how Spaz Williams, who was someone that was working on like CGI type stuff, mm-hmm. he created this anima- this uh, animation of a walking T-Rex. He was like, this is yeah. great. Like, this is the direction we need to go in. But at that point, they were entirely doing animatronics and claymation stuff. They're like, that was what mm-hmm. they were doing because it was a massive pre-production process as well. Because yeah, before the book ever came out, they were they already had the rights to the film and were getting going on it. So they we're going about it that whole like practical effects route because at that time that's like the only real way to go about it but spaz williams was like no there's a better way to do this and i'm gonna show them so he came up he did a full-on animation of it and when kathleen kennedy the producer was going to visit the office at ilm studios um they he had it was basically a setup he had on the computer that animation just going so that when she was walking through she would see it, and of course, she was amazed by it. She's like, what in the world is this? That looks incredible. And so he was able to... Oh, this little thing? 
Oh, yeah. this is just oh, this is uh, not this T-Rex. Is just... This is I've just been doing this you my free time. See this. I just this was a yeah. side project. I really like dinosaurs, and I just thought it'd be cool. You're doing a dinosaur movie? <laughs> what are the odds? Exactly. So he did that, and of course, the idea took, and they were like, "This is amazing." And then Spielberg came through and saw it, and he was like, "Wow, movies just changed forever. We're doing this computer generated now." And so they went in that direction. That'd be a hard um, choice course, to make for a lot of filmmakers to see something and be like, "Yeah, we're gonna do this." completely different than how it's ever been done before ever Mm -hmm. like no movie does heavy cgi like this ever but we'll do it exactly that's crazy yeah and there's still even not like obviously compared to today's movies there's a very minimal amount of it included in there but where they choose to go from the animatronics to the cgi like the first works full body shot of the t-rex when he comes through the paddock after the wires just got taken down and then he does Mm -hmm. the roar like that being cgi it's amazing it's incredible and then the running yeah. animation of course the walking animation evolved into that stuff is just insane amazing yeah, i think that, CGI whole that holds t- up. i think that a whole t-rex intro uh sequence is one of the best examples of like suspense filmmaking in any movie possible like the amount of tension they that steven spielberg and the other filmmakers build into this scene is just fantastic. First, they built it up for like half an hour on how everybody wants to see a T-Rex. T-Rexes are like the thing that people want to see when they go to a dinosaur park. And you see the cage. It's not there. You see the goat. doesn't work. It doesn't want to be fed. It wants to hunt. They have all these great little bits about we want to see a T-Rex. We want to see a T-Rex. And they're just building it and building it and building it. And then right when the park fails is when they're stuck outside the T-Rex paddock. And then it's like a good five minutes of tension building of the wires slowly being cut of the reveal that the goat is gone of and of the course, slamming of the goat leg landing on top of the car. That's of true. The but the iconic pounding. water trimmers. Yeah. Yeah. Just water trimmers like just that buildup of all of that stuff. The final like the, the initial reveal where it's like the tree line and then the, the T-Rex's head lifts up is the animatronic T-Rex and the head lifts up silhouetted by the moon. <sighs> Like, just works on every, every level. It truly does. Like, a brilliant cinematography choice from the scale and framing of it mm-hmm. to show, like, this is a massive monster that we are witnessing right yeah. now. And then, again, him stepping out onto the street, doing the roar, and then the whole him attacking the the car, flipping it, well, first doing the like crashing down through the sunroof, mm-hmm. like all of that is just amazing. The true terror that the kids were feeling yeah. at that moment, of course, you were feeling like it's just one of the best, most well done scenes ever, yeah. to be honest. Like it is so effective in every single way. So, yeah, it's is... better for the actors to work in a situation where they can see a, a life size scale T Rex in front of them. Like that's what I'm saying. Like those kids what are better working conditions. Well, have you heard the story about the plexiglass? What was it never supposed to like fall through? It was never supposed to crash. Through. <laughs> oh my it was God. supposed to bump into it and they accidentally jacked it up way too much and it crashed through and broke the whole thing down on top of them. And so they're actually just screaming <laughs> in fear. I'm but, sure, like, yeah. Like even the people in the other car who aren't even interacting with this animatronic T-Rex just looking at it and getting that reaction of knowing how big it is, how loud it is, how scary it is. Like you can get real performance is a lot easier than just pitching them the idea of what they're supposed to be looking at like you know there are actors they're still professionals they could still do it but 
what a more exciting environment for them to be in to actually see a life-size T-Rex. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. And you know what's funny? Have you heard the story about the T-Rex, about how they were filming in those conditions? No. What happened? So they have this life-size T-Rex, and it's fully animatronic. It's controlled by a bunch of different controls. It can move the head. It can move the tail. It can move the little arms. And they're out there shooting in pouring rain. And this is 1993. So the water is getting into the controls and and into the animatronic, and it's malfunctioning. So the dinosaur is just moving on its own during breaks. So like they'll be they'll be like taking breaks, taking lunch breaks, taking like shooting breaks. And the dinosaur will just still be moving like on its own without anybody controlling it because the rain is malfunctioning it. Right. How scary that is, is that? Like terrifying. Like, <laughs> like who's moving the T Rex head? Uh, nobody. Like Jerry, Nobody's cut that out. That. Jerry, Jerry, come on. And he's like, I'm doing nothing. Jerry's in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. If he saw the film, then he knows that's not a good place to be. That bad. Yeah, that'd be terrifying. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that just incredible filmmaking prowess mm-hmm. on all levels, all throughout the film, for sure. And it goes back as well to the writing of it and the way that they set everything up. Like it has that incredible mm-hmm. structure, as you said, it so much of it, which is crazy to think about for like a blockbuster, but so much of it is just this massive setup. In the very beginning, we only see really dinosaurs twice. The Brachiosaurus that does a thing, which is the big massive first time that we get to see it and then we get to see the characters seeing it which is also great spielberg loves his reaction shots and those are hands down like the best reaction shots you ever see yeah and they come before yeah and they come before they see the dino which before we actually see the dino which yeah works great because it the scene where he like first notices and he stands up and ellie sadler is still just looking at the plant and he grabs Mm -hmm. her head and turns it and then she stands up and then you get that reveal i mean just like the suspense that's built into that alone and then the exactly. the payoff of it being spectacle and like beautiful and wonderful it just works so well exactly it heightens the anticipation that the audience should have we already know how we should be feeling because they're feeling this amazing mm-hmm. awe and then for us it's the first time as well seeing like this massive creature uh, yeah. it's just it's incredible and then also again the way that he uses the camera in that time it's like these extremely low angles and we see them next to the Brachiosaurus so we can get the scale of how huge that creature is and how yeah. amazing it is to see that, how it would be amazing to see that in real life. So, yeah, yeah, that's great. The spectacle, then, the spectacle in that first half hour, too, is just working so hard for the rest of the film because without that spectacle, you don't have that foundation in the belief that these animals are real and that they are beautiful and great and large that builds off into the terror you feel in the rest of the movie when now these big, beautiful creatures are violent and attacking them, like that spectacle of them getting that reaction shots and getting that, uh, like just the whole CGI of it and that whole great sweeping shot of all the dinosaurs, like grazing in the meadows and drinking from the lake, like all of that building off. And then John Williams score coming in all of that building into it mm-hmm. gives this impression of this being real and wonderful. And it just like puts you in that world so that when it turns into like a thriller, like a terror thriller kind of action movie, it, the terror is real. And that is a problem that a lot of the movies don't have later in the series that we'll get to the other two Jurassic Park movies. Right. In some in like varying degrees, sometimes, yes, but overall, nowhere near as good as what Steven Spielberg is doing in the first Jurassic Park. 
For sure. Absolutely. And yeah, in the first part of the film as well, when we get a lot of great world building with the actual park itself, like all those things have become iconic in their mm -hmm. own right, like the Jeeps, the little raincoats mm -hmm. they have with the emblem yeah. on it. All the costuming and set piecing to make it look like a, a theme park just works so well. Yeah, it's like truly amazing. One that's got to me in the most recent rewatch was in the columns. They have like the fossilized skeletons of yeah. dinosaurs included in there. So it's like all that little attention to detail is amazing. And also something that fits in with world building really helps draw that out, but also is a really efficient way to do exposition is the mm -hmm. Mr. DNA video. Oh, we're yeah. Able to get in the way that we would if we were actually in this theme park, this video of, oh, well, how did the dinosaurs get created? Because it's the number mm -hmm. one question of how was this done? And then you get that whole. Yeah, uh, it's a theme park. Let's let's do a, a showy explanation. Exactly. And yeah. bingo, Dino DNA. <laughs> I know a great voice, Steve Sir, Mister DNA. Love it. Um, but yeah, so brilliant choices like that that again help make it very efficient. So we got the pacing is just very quick, but we're still able to sit with as these characters do this idea of this wondrous entry into Jurassic Park. So it's great. Yeah. Um, so to talk more about some of the themes that we get in this film, because again, there's a lot of great lines that have become iconic from here as well that come from this discussion this debate over the themes and the concepts that are being raised by bringing back dinosaurs um, so i love 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 the scene the boardroom scene which is something mm -hmm. as a kid that you're just sort of like you check out from it there's no dinosaurs in it. Yeah. there's no like seriousness in Boring. it but as an adult coming back to that i'm like i love this it's such a great scene i know that's I what love i want the set design of like the, the pictures like the the different uh, projectors showing pictures around them of like the park in the globe behind fancy, the Chilean Hammond. sea bass that they're eating, yeah. just like everything that like builds into making this seem so extravagant when really it's so like twisted on the inside. Mm -hmm. It's just fantastic. Like the sure. the immorality of the gluttony, like the the gluttony of the scene of like this fancy wooden table with this this like superb chef serving this very expensive Chilean sea bass these people who are like trying to sign off a park on a park that shouldn't be signed off on and like they can see through it is great mm -hmm. yeah so of course we get that iconic line of you're so preoccupied with whether you could that you never stop to think whether you should from ian malcolm and he was the one that was like leading the anti-park crusade that then um ellie sattler and alan grant joined in on as well um, and i like one of the themes that isn't as obvious and present as that one of oh should we bring back dinosaurs um, is the idea of technology not just like yeah. a hubris of trying to do that and man playing god but using technology in order to mm -hmm. manufacture that control over the natural world and so we see that's exactly what is being done like it's through technology mm -hmm. through that science that we were able to bring them back and in the conversation later on that hammond and ellie have again one of those things that especially since it's in the later part of the film where the action is kicking off. Now we take a mm -hmm. slow moment to sit with these two people that are removed from the action. Yet, yeah. as an adult, I'm like, oh, this is beautiful because we get to see Hammond still resisting the idea that this park is a failure, <laughs> which we're seeing yeah. as it's like falling apart around him. He's still thinking that like, I can do this. If I just get better, if the technology gets better, if we put in more measures of control, we will be able to make this work. And then Ellie's like, no, the control is the illusion. Yeah. This nature what you have around here it's too powerful for you to be able to contain so yeah. 
I love the way that they dig into all of that throughout this film, which is, a, again, a major piece that I feel like is missing from the sequels and the sequel trilogy. Yeah, that whole build up to that theme, that whole arc for that theme is fantastic, too, where they introduce the tech room and they're like, the whole, and John Hammond's like, the whole park is automated. It could be controlled by one man on one computer. Isn't that fantastic how technology mm-hmm. has come so far? And we know at this point already that the one man that is controlling the park has been corrupted. So that whole system is flawed immediately. Like the one man who has the one control over this entire system has now been bribed to mess up that system. So exactly. there, there you go. Like you already messed up by automating it so much. Mm-hmm. Very, very true. Yeah, and then of course they also talk about like the curse of greed and commercialization and whatnot, like how the slimy lawyer that comes in, he isn't really affected so much by the awe and wonder of seeing these dinosaurs come back to life. He's just seeing the dollar signs of it. Yeah, and then same deal with um, you brought up uh, his name is Dennis Nedry, right? Nedry. Dennis Nedry. Yeah, he has already been corrupted, and I think it is a little bit of an interesting thing that he brought up like the reason he's doing this and is working for like a rival company is because he's not getting paid enough. That's also mm-hmm. an interesting thing that like Hammond, he continually says we spared no expense. And yet again, he wants as minimal of a staff as possible. He wants so much automation in it, even though that has various issues that you just pointed out. And he's also not paying the few workers that he does have enough, or at least not enough to make them feel like, they're satisfied or to deal with whatever financial troubles they have. So they have that little back and forth of he's like, Oh, help me out. And then he's like, your financial issues are just that yours. And so it's pretty interesting to see how they included that in there, how like that character, we're not really supposed to root for him because what he's doing is ultimately going to be a bad thing. And he is a schmuck for sure. But mm-hmm. it's also a reflection of like Hammond himself, not giving like not paying enough and not actually viewing what's going on around him with the human workers that he has because he's again so focused on the science and the technology of bringing back these dinosaurs that he's missing out on that human element and he's not able to understand the threat to humans that this all poses Mm -hmm. so it is a fascinating uh, treatise on greed i think that they explore in jurassic park as well yeah you know what's sad what's that in the book uh, the lawyer is the hero. No, really? <laughs> yeah. In the book, Ian Malcolm is like a dick. Kind of like how he is in the in the movie, but like to an exaggerated extent where he's just like mm-hmm. an asshole. And there's right. another character who's like a tour guide. And he's the chicken that runs away from the T-Rex and like takes the the role of what the lawyer does. Like they met, they mush those two roles together. But in doing so, they axed out all the her- heroic stuff that the lawyer does. But the lawyer is like, one of the best characters in the book. But the reason they did that is because Steven Spielberg hates lawyers. That's funny. Good job. Which on is so Spielberg sad. <laughs> like it was a great performance in the movie. I fully believe that he is like an asshole lawyer, but in the book, he's so cool. He's such a good guy. And it makes so me sad that they did that. Spielberg to wants lawyers to be portrayed as bad and mathematicians to be portrayed as good. That's yeah. where Spielberg lies. And I agree. I'm kind of with <laughs> I think like not all lawyers should be portrayed as scummy folks, but I think it does help uh, explore this theme more of like having the lawyer character who's coming in to like make sure the investors yeah. are all fine on this park that just already had mm-hmm. an issue with it. 
Um, it'd be, I think, it would dilute the themes if we have Ian Malcolm being a dickhead and yeah. the lawyer is like the hero. So I think the way that they made that choice thematically Well, I also don't also think, think the lawyer, I'm trying to remember the book. I know Ian Malcolm is still opposed to the park, but I don't know if the lawyer is super like gung-ho for it. Like, I don't think he mm. ever has a moment where he's greedy. Like, he's literally gotcha. like a good guy. Like, he's a good guy and he's like trying to save the day and stuff. Wow. Just he's, for the he's like he's like the teammate for like Alan Grant where they like team up together and they're like fighting the dinosaurs together. If I'm remembering correctly, I, mm -hmm. I want to reread the book. I'm looking at it now in my bookcase and I've been wanting to reread it because Alexa bought me a new copy because I lost my old copy. And by lost, I mean Ezra lost my old copy. <laughs> and so I've been meaning to reread it because I really, really like that book. And I just haven't gotten around to it. I have so many books that I haven't read already. Well, now's the best time to reread it. Yeah, but then again, there Jurassic are Park so kick. many movies that I haven't seen, and I keep watching the same ones over and over again. What's wrong with reading the same books over and over again? Well, there you go. If Jurassic you enjoy it, so reread it. And there's always new things to learn from going back and reading it. It's honestly it one of my favorite books. Line. It's it's just so well written. Like it's Michael Crichton's masterpiece. Mm -hmm. Having only read one of his books, I just I just think it's so good. You <laughs> should read, read only one. Yeah, yeah, I've only read. I have three of his books on my shelf, and I've only read one of them. Gotcha. I've always wanted to read it, so I'll get you around should. to it at some point. Maybe this will be the time. Since I'm I can loan you my copy once cake. I'm done with it, I promise I won't lose it. I believe you. I'll hold on to it. Um, I think Ezra other... lost it because he was moving around. Like he moved to like this was I loaned it to him while we were in high school, and then he moved to Tallahassee for college, and then mm -hmm. I think he just lost it at some point, either in his room or in the move or something like that. It's just gone. Yeah. It was a big book. It was like the hardcover with the fancy cover from Barnes and Noble that had the first book and the second book in it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. But All right. One other thing to talk about with this film, which I think is another reason why it worked so well and is so distinguished as a blockbuster, is its characters. Because we truly oh, yeah. care about these characters and they feel very fleshed out. So, mm -hmm. first of all, I think it's a great choice, um, which, yeah, you can let me know if in the book like what role they had, but there's a big role for the kids in this film, which I think is great to serve as an entry point for all the kids that would go and see this film because they are representing that childlike fascination that so many kids have with dinos. And of course it works thematically with Alan Grant's character mm -hmm. who we see very clearly in the beginning is an old school dude. So he doesn't like technology. Interesting playing back into that other theme, but he's also, he hates kids. He very much yep. hates kids. He doesn't want them, doesn't like to be around them, thinks they suck. And then what do we do in this film? We have to put him with the kids, and now he has to be their protector. Classic way to just extract some drama from your Classic story. Classic There you go. Amazing. So that works really well. And then Ellie Sattler is also an amazing character. We see she's very caring, very sweet, but she's also gung-ho and brave in so many ways. She's always stepping up. You see, it's also funny, um, like sort of in this 90s, what third wave feminism hero where you see Hammond at one point is saying like, oh, I should be the one going because I'm a and you're a and she's like, oh, come on. Like, we'll talk about sexist situations like sexism and survival situations later. But now I got to go and do this so we can save the park and save the kids. Um, so I really like they take that approach with her. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then, of course, Ian Malcolm, Jeff Goldblum, he playing the cool, sexy mathematician. Yeah. He's given a bunch of great lines. Damn. 
So what Jeff more Goldblum do you need for audience sells that role? He does. Like in the so, book, he's just obnoxious, but in the movie, like they don't change a lot about his character, but he turns that obnoxious douchiness into charisma with just pure Goldblum magic. For real. He's just absolutely God. And I love the the Life, scene uh, where they're uh, uh, <laughs> finds a way. <laughs> I don't know if he does that many others, but yeah. Life uh he does one finds a way. He does one. I do think it's funny though. Like that's a very big quote. Life finds a way <laughs> in the actual delivery. It's life uh finds a way. Very Have you cool. seen the family guy bit? No. Well, I'm sure I have it some point, but life uh 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 <laughs> uh uh uh, 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 finds a way. Nice. I hope they do that in Jurassic World Dominion. Me too. It's like, uh, 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 finds a way. But one scene that I really you do were really so preoccupied with whether you you should or that you uh, you could uh, you uh forgot <laughs> whether you could bring back. I, I messed. I mixed dialogue. it up both times. You're okay. I got both words wrong. You didn't take enough time to think. You didn't have enough filler words like uh. Come on. I was so preoccupied with whether or not I should. <laughs> I didn't think about whether or not I could. And I exactly. Couldn't. And you shouldn't have, to be honest. The Fuck you. thing that I like was when they were in the little Jeeps and they're going through and he's explaining chaos theory and it is the water droplets on Laura Dern. Oh, I do love that too. And he's like, Oh, see, like the way that the hair is oriented and microscopic yeah. imper imperfections. And she's it's like, like imperfections. And he's like very microscopic, very microscopic. I just love it's that. Very, part. very great at describing a very complex topic very simply it's very good character building for the three of them and their dynamic for the rest of the movie it just does so many things all at once a lot of this movie does that and it's just fantastic for that i love the scene where they're doing the tour and they all three of them push up the bars to get out because they want to go see how the dinosaurs are made mm -hmm. i love that there's just so many little things where they're adding in character development without it being forced and it's just fantastic Agreed, yeah. They all truly do feel like really fleshed out people. And you root for them. You want them to live. You want them to make it through. So, yeah, that's a great dynamic. Which, again, it's crazy that we haven't seen these three come back together until now with Jurassic World Dominion. Um, so, yeah, hopefully they will have that same chemistry and we'll be just as invested in each of them as we were in the original. But, yeah. Okay, any other last thoughts about Jurassic Park? just solidly fantastic like watching this as a child is such a great experience i wish i could have seen it on the big screen i know dude 30 year anniversary they got to bring it back you and i they have we'll to go. we have to go see it we'll do it it'll be yeah. epic honestly remember when they were renting out theaters yeah during covid times i almost thought mm -hmm. about doing that for my birthday and then showing jurassic park because that was one of the options dude let's do it, it. would have been so cool dude they still don't do it anymore though I think they do in some theaters, but most of them went back to just. Yeah, because theaters are back. Yeah, movies are back. That's good. But yeah. All right. That's so out of still do it. out of five expenses, how many were not spared? Um, I spared no expense. So all five. Beautiful. All five. Very beautiful. Yeah. No expense spared five times over. It's a true masterpiece blockbuster. Fantastic. Amazing. As always. Yeah. Incredible. I completely forgot. It's already been an hour. I can't believe we still have to go through the Lost World and Jurassic Park 3, but fortunately those will be a lot quicker. So in 1997, Jurassic Park, The Lost World, the sequel to Jurassic Park, was released based on The Lost World by 
Michael Crichton. This movie was directed by Steven Spielberg, and the screenplay was just by David Kep. So same major creative team coming back to make the sequel. At the box office, it made $227 million domestically and $618 million worldwide. That's still really good. That's still really, really good. It's Very lower, true. which I guess sequels do tend to do lower overall for the most part. But it is kind of a lot lower. I mean, it just dropped $300 million worldwide. But still a success overall. Uh, my impressions are there are sequences that work really well for me. And there are sequences that don't. But overall, a lot of the writing is just not quite there. But overall, it's still entertaining. I'm still entertained watching it. Right. Which at the very least is what a movie with dinosaurs should do, is entertaining. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... I 100% agree with you. I There are some sequences that are really well done and really entertaining and that I enjoyed watching a lot. But overall, like the investment in the characters, in the story itself, in the themes, just were not there, certainly not to the level of the original Jurassic Park. Um, I do like that they brought Ian Malcolm back as the lead. Mm-hmm. I thought that was very interesting. Um, and I do like that they, which, I mean, it's a Spielberg film and he... He has a thing with stories about fathers. So it's interesting that yeah. in Jurassic Park, the original one, he definitely had that with Alan Grant. And then here with Ian Malcolm, he does the same sort of thing. I don't mm. think it works as well, though. I feel no. like there's no ultimate payoff to it in the same way that it was with Alan Grant, where yeah. like the final shot we see of our humans are the kids nestling up against him and him being happy. This one, the daughter gets like dropped in the third act, basically. Yeah, and I feel also, like there's no danger involved with her character as exactly. there was danger with the other kids. And I feel like there was no arc for her character that was really fleshed out. So I feel like she was added in for the sake of that emotional attachment, but she wasn't needed. Like, I feel like she could have just been left out from the movie and it would have been the same, if not better, because it wouldn't right. have been as cluttered. She just adds another character that, quote, could potentially get eaten by dinosaurs. Like, that's what I think when I watch this movie is like the first movie you have seven characters they're on an island any one of them could eat, get eaten by a dinosaur three of them do in this movie they just throw as many characters as possible on the island and they're like oh any one of these people can die and then like almost all of them die right. like their people are just you, dying left and right but then you also know like from the get-go which ones will live and which ones will die like you know going in almost that the characters that aren't uh in malcolm his girlfriend and his daughter like all of those, you're like, okay, they're expendable. Especially the two that he arrives on the island with. Yeah. One was Eddie. The other dude, I forget, but played by Vince Vaughn. Um, it was Nick, wasn't it? Nick, maybe. I don't know. I'm not going to look it up. I don't care enough. I knew, like you know from the jump, that those two are going to die. And the sad part is, so Richard Schiff, who's in West Wing, plays Eddie. And so I really liked him. And his I also really like him. I haven't seen The West Wing, but I just thought his character was really well done. Like I thought That's he what performed saying. it really well. I thought it was written really well. And his death is just like, I remember watching the first time and being distraught. And the second time, it was also <laughs> very hard to watch. I was like, damn, he's just working so hard to save their I lives. Know. And without was... him, they would have died. And he gets ripped apart by two T-Rexes. Like, I know. Devastatingly violent. And, I and was it's not like, even, damn. like they don't even get to thank him or see him or whatever. Like they aren't even that devastated by the fact dead. that he's dead. Yeah. It's like, where's he Eddie? Like one line. He's all over the place. And I'm like, damn. He works yeah. so hard. That that bit, that that sequence is one of the ones that worked for me, where it's dangling off the edge. 
and they're struggling to climb up it without falling and Eddie is struggling to keep it from falling back, but also struggling to get like, like it was just like building up of like, it does like an uncharted thing where it's just building one thing on top of another thing on top of another thing on top of another thing to make it more and more and more difficult. Mm -hmm. And so that sequence worked for me really, really well. Right. I a hundred percent agree. That was one of the best. And I really love when like Julianne Moore falls onto the glass at the bottom and then you see a crack and then now she has to slowly like get up as it's cracking and the rain is Mm -hmm. pouring in. I think I should have leaned in more on that. The rain pouring in is adding to the weight on it. Um, but yeah, that whole scene I thought was really well done. It's just so sad they did them so dirty. It's eaten apart, like ripped apart by two T-Rexes. Ripped in half. And he's there for a good minute in the car, still revving it backwards with two T-Rexes right next to the car. Mm-hmm. Like he's still putting in the work knowing that he's going to die. Like he's what trying to hero. grab the gun and try to like, yeah, that's like the most heroic anyone has been in any Jurassic Park movie. That's the most heroic death that I've seen so far. Like everyone yeah. else just died because they died. But this one was like, he's a hero. He's a hero. Exactly. Go 100%. Um, and then I also, a few other things I liked. I did like how they brought back John Hammond. I did like the conversation between like Malcolm and Ludlow, the villain in this. Um, and I also love like just the shot itself. It's just like a long shot of the two of them there. He's like signing off these papers and you see mm-hmm. Ian Malcolm in the background and he's just scolding him for all this because he wrote a book and tried to tell the public about Jurassic Park, but no one's believed him. And now he looks like a nut. So mm-hmm. I love that whole bit. And I like Hammond being brought back. I like the little cameo from the kids who were apparently the actual actors um, that they came back. And we've really? just never even seen the them son? in the series again. Yeah, even, even the, the boy, because even he looked kind of different. Like the, the daughter looked the same, but he looked a little different. Right. Well, I was like, because she definitely looked the same, but because she was yeah. older in the original film. So it's not like much difference would happen. Yeah, um, but I was like, "There's no way they brought her back and then not the kid back." But yeah, I went and looked it up, and it was sure enough the same actors. That's but crazy. Those Good kids, for them, though. They've never come back in the series at all, right? They should have. They should have come That's back for Dominion. And I, I mean, I spoiled it for myself because I want to know who would come back. So I read all the cast. Oh well, don't tell me. And I won't tell you if they're in it or not. But okay, you know, I did spoil myself. <laughs> well, that's unfortunate. But yeah, I'm just amazed that that seems like such a missed opportunity to have like the grandkids of the original founder of the park not to come back in any capacity but what yeah we'll see if it happens in dominion i do not know you do know we'll see we'll talk about it next week whether it happens or not but yeah so in terms of the characters i like eddie vince vaughn was all right he had some like cool lines that i thought but for the most part i I thought the dynamic was super weird because there were so many times where the framing and like the uh what's it called the the chemistry between the characters it felt more like vince vaughn was dating Julianne way. more than Ian Malcolm. And so it just felt very, it felt like he was the one who was always saving Julianne more and Ian Malcolm was off doing his own thing. So I don't know if that was like an issue with the chemistry, if that was an issue with the framing or like the, the plot choices, but something was just off. I agree with you there. Yeah, because there are a few moments where it definitely seems like he's, he's the one doing that. Because yeah, he comes up and like checks on her a couple of times. He tried to, he was the one that was with her on the mission to, go mess yeah. up the other people and like save the uh the baby t-rex so, mm-hmm. yeah it was odd that they had them like so tight together and then did she even i think i blocked out the part where like he died and then she reacts to it what was her reaction to his death who dies vince vaughn vince vaughn does not die when did he come back in the finale thing he didn't where they, did he, he end up 
he calls that's the thing is that he has he doesn't have any arc and he has no conclusion either like he's the one who calls the helicopter that's why i to thought he died them. i just thought i missed and it they they get on the helicopter and they're flying away and as they're flying away they see the uh t-rex has been captured and they're like oh geez they got the t-rex and then the whole final act is just ian malcolm and julianne moore and i don't even think the daughter comes back maybe well, that's in, like, what i'm the, saying i the don't think the daughter does but the, like they just nix their character completely like they go off and they go they lived then they do their own thing and i'm like why would you not give a conclusion to their arc or give them an arc at all like they're just there and then they're not right and it's very odd that they did that like julianne moore and uh ian malcolm and ludlow are the only ones in that final like 15 minutes of san diego terror mm-hmm. they're the only ones yeah that's very very strange i yeah, I totally. Missed I was waiting that. for he Vince Vaughn to die. die. Yeah, he I didn't. thought so too. Did he just die off screen? Like, was there a little throwaway line? That no, said something? he's was... on the helicopter when they're flying away. And then he just, yeah, I, it makes no sense that he wouldn't. He be was part like of a huge final. part of the whole plot. He was in so much of it. I know. He's the he's, he's responsible for destroying the camp. He he's responsible for getting uh, Stellan Sar or not Stellan Sarsgaard. What's his name? Peter Sarsgaard, not Peter Sarsgaard. You know what I'm talking about? Peter Stormare. Peter Stormare. He's the one who's responsible for getting Peter Stormare killed by stealing his bullets or jamming his gun or whatever. He's the one who calls the helicopter and saves him. Like, he's doing so much work. And then he's just gone. And he right. never comes back. And he's not in the rest of the movie. Yeah, that's... Or the rest of the series. I know. I it's very odd. Maybe he'll come back can't for opinion. <laughs> yeah. That, That'd be funny. Very confusing. Um, But I do think, talking about another set piece that i really enjoyed i did think the whole san diego bit of them driving around trying yeah, to get the I t-rex that and then driving away from the t-rex particularly like my favorite shot is when it just cuts to the cars doing mad u-turns on a dime mm-hmm. when they see the t-rex like in the road i thought yeah. that was great that was pretty cool but yeah, yeah i thought the I whole terror think- sequence was awesome where it's just ripping through san diego i think that's pretty mm-hmm. neat yeah, and also I like do the love, whole... also love the buildup of that where the ship is like coming in and you can't see it at all, and then through the fog good. it just because you don't know what size ship it is, how fast it's coming, and then just out of nowhere it's just giant tanker ship just comes barreling through the entire pier. I thought that was great. Very true. Question though, what killed all the people on that ship? If I had to guess. I wouldn't have an answer because I was about <laughs> to say the baby T-Rex and then I remembered the baby T-Rex on was the lifted plane. out by a helicopter. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know how the T-Rex ripped things apart and then went back into the thing and locked itself. <laughs> and then closed it in. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. I think it the implication like is because those... there's a dead guy. There's a dead guy with a control in his arms. I think the implication is that it kills a bunch of people and then somehow it gets lured back down into the basement and then he closes it before he dies. But at the same time, there's like dead bodies in the control room and there's no way the T-Rex can fit in the control room right like if there were also velociraptors on the ship that would have made so much more sense it seems like that's one of those things where it's just a dropped thread like vince vaughn and the daughter where they initially had velociraptors on the ship but then they were like oh i don't want to do velociraptors and a t-rex in san diego so then they just we don't see the velociraptors Velociraptors at all and yet people are still dead so i it just makes very little sense Um, there yeah. was so there's a weird thing with this movie where i watched it when i was young probably 14 or so and uh a long time after this the jurassic world movie started coming out and i started watching them and i was like it would be really cool if they did like an r-rated jurassic park where they like go for it and they're like really violent and i was coming mm-hmm. up with like set pieces in my head 
And then as I was rewatching it this time, I realized all the set pieces I had come up with came from this movie. And I just didn't <laughs> realize I was stealing it in my own mind. Like it was like locked in. Like one of the things was that they were hiding in a cave with a waterfall in front of them. And one character gets grabbed by the T-Rex and then you have blood come down the waterfall. That's just straight from this movie. It really I is. Was watching and it happen and I was like, <laughs> I was watching that moment. I was like, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> And then it did, and I was like, God damn it. I, I also stole in my head the idea where they're walking through the field and the Velociraptors are coming at them. Mm-hmm. I also thought that was a great idea. And then I was watching it, I was like, God damn it. He's <laughs> just losing everything, like my the entire premise. Also, the premise that I had was that they go back to the island for some reason, like a team is there to like kill the dinosaurs, which mm-hmm. is a little different from the plot of this movie. But essentially, it's just a, a big group of soldiers go to the island, and then they all get killed by the dinosaurs which is essentially right. the movie. So I just stole like the plot of the lost world, but in my head it looked really good. And in this movie, it just looked okay. Right. Like, some I, of it worked. Some of it didn't. I have a similar story with Jurassic park three, where I think really? like the other week on the show, we were saying like, yeah, I didn't watch Jurassic park three. I've definitely seen it because I've definitely had those images of them like in the aviary and then on the boat. I also yeah, think yeah, part yeah. of it is like Jurassic park three, the arcade games. Like where you can go oh. in and you're on the boat and you're like shooting down the pterodactyls and whatnot. Oh. It was like a merged memory, but I've definitely seen Jurassic Part 3 um, and yeah. just forgot about it. But yeah, so just to wrap up our Lost World talk. Mm-hmm. yeah. What were the some of the just, things that didn't work for you? Well, so yeah, some of the just random threads that they drop in major plot holes, like the people that mm-hmm. are dead on the ship just feels like, I don't know, like Jurassic Park, the original everything tied together every loose end was cleared but this one it seems Mm -hmm. like i don't know like they wanted to go certain directions but then they said now let's go somewhere else and somehow they didn't have enough time to remove the other things that they set up already so it just feels i don't know not like they did enough prep work or whatever this time Mm -hmm. around and it shows Um, and then i really didn't like didn't really didn't like sarah harding that character and Julianne Moore playing her. Yeah, no, not really. It just did not work. The whole the dynamic the whole again, chemistry was unbelievable. Yeah, the like comparing it to the original when the chemistry is so vibrant in there, mm-hmm. it just falls so flat. It truly does. Um, and yeah, there's some other moments that are a little ridiculous, like the gymnastics kick onto the Velociraptor. <laughs> no, I love that. I, I kind of really yeah. like it. I was like, I was, was watching so it and cool. I was like, this is so stupid that it works. Like it's so. unbelievably dumb that i love it i think it's great because they they do set that up where she's on the gymnastics team and he does have that line at the end where he's like and they kicked you out like Mm -hmm. they have that that built in a clever line i just think it's so funny that she had the force to kick a full-size velociraptor (laughs) through a window and that the velociraptor was that strong it's just so funny to watch while it happened as she's spinning around because she does like multiple spins around the bar and i'm like it's just like watching to do all that (laughs) bro it's so funny it's so Lord. funny. I love it. It's, yeah. the, it's the same kind of love as the the Velociraptor on the plane in Jurassic Park 3. Of yeah. just like something that just doesn't make sense, but it's so great that I love it. Right. Yeah, I don't know about that. I think it's a little goofy. But that definitely was not great. And then also the the lack of any real sci-fi stuff or any of the real like themes, like the yeah. philosophical question, philosoph- philosophical, hello, question philosophical. of whether we should bring back dinosaurs like we've already answered that in this so there's nothing really to explore there in terms of the themes with this one besides them trying to do like this arc with 
Ian and his daughter. But again, that doesn't land since they drop her at the end of it. And we don't see him change his behavior at all. Really, Like we don't know if he's going to continue mm -hmm. being an absentee father or not. So yeah, we have no uh, idea what's going on. Yeah. So but I think I agree with you on everything you said, except there's one other thing I didn't like. I didn't like the second to last action sequence where they're running from the velociraptors in the uh, little complex mm -hmm. in that final bit. I love the setup of them running from Velociraptors. I love the idea of it being in this, uh, this sort of like rundown compound. And I love like a lot of the follow through with like, they're doing the same thing as the T-Rex bit off the cliff where they're just constantly putting in more and more and more obstacles, but it's just such an anticlimactic ending. Like they just, they get away from the Velociraptors and then they just run to a helicopter very quickly. Like they outrun the Velociraptors. And that is just so, it's just so anticlimactic to me. Right. And so it yeah. just falls flat. Whereas the T-Rex the one is incredibly climactic. Like it's tense, it's tense, it's tense. Eddie dies. The whole thing's coming down and it crashes around them and boom, they're still there hanging on because of Eddie who re-tied the rope before he died. And they're just hanging there off the cliff and then it immediately cuts to them climbing up the top. Like it has that final like slam that a sequence needs to be climactic but this just fell flat agreed yeah and one other final note is the hunter character that's like there because he was a big game hunter but then he oh, yeah. hunted everything in the world scenario wants the t-rex i thought that was a very cool thing that they threw in and I also like that him, he yeah. just left in the film at least they tied yeah, him up i love that like, he doesn't die i love that he does what he came to set out for and then wants no other involvement exactly he said i captured it i've done what i needed to do yeah, goodbye and then leaves he was like the best new character. Yeah, he was from. fantastic. I didn't Eddie. like Peter Stormare that much. I felt like his character was unnecessary, and I think I, they just threw him in for a cheap death. Thank you for bringing that up, because it felt like it's a carbon copy of what they do with Nedry in the original, but far less Except Nedry has a role. Well, exactly. So there's like something going on there of, oh, he has the like uh, embryos or whatever of these other dinosaurs. He could take them oh, off. Oh, you're right. So there's at least suspense there of, is he going to get off or not? I forgot he and, did that. Yeah. And in this one, like we just what's he doing? We don't know. Like, we don't care why he's going around there. He's a secondary yeah. character that we know is going to get killed. It's like we didn't need it. And it wasn't even that interesting yeah. when it happened. In the original, those embryos are like the MacGuffin that sets the plot forward of exactly. the park shutting down. In this one, it's a MacGuffin for nothing. Like it's just a MacGuffin to make the character more suspenseful. And then he just dies. It like gives the character purpose, but the character has no purpose in the story outside of that. So, like, he has his own individual purpose, but it has nothing to do with the story. And that right. just sucks. Yeah, agreed. Okay, also, so... Also, one last thing. Did you like the intro with the little girl on the island? Um, Not re Well, she goes, are you a bird? To the thing that very clearly yeah. doesn't look like a bird. Um, I, I thought it was okay. <laughs> I thought the uh, smash cut to Jeff Goldblum was immaculate. Where she screams, yeah. or it's the mother that screams, and then it cuts to him. Like He's in the on background, the subway, of, right? The subway, yeah. I thought yeah. that part was great. And the scream cuts to the screeching of the brakes. Classic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was a so very. So, how good. many how many T Rex traffic jams out of five would you give Jurassic Park: The Lost World? So again, I'm between like a three and a three point five. I honestly don't know where I settle yet. What about you? I'm gonna give it a three point five. I love anything with dinosaurs. I think the sequences, as a whole, are better than they are bad. I think they're more good than bad. And I have a lot of fun watching the action sequences. So even though the plot is scattered and not really there, at the very least, I'm thoroughly entertained by the action that's going on. And also Jeff Goldblum is still just great. Like even though right. his 
his chemistry with the other characters doesn't work. The other characters don't really work. And the whole thing is kind of a mess writing wise. Jeff Goldblum is still stealing the show and landing it. Agreed. So I'm I'm going to give it a 3.5. Beautiful. All right. Now time to move on to Jurassic Wait, wait. Pop. You didn't give your rating. I said between a 3 to 3.5. Well, I said yeah, I didn't one. know. Okay. Well, I gotta, I'll say 3.5. I like it. It's right. Spielberg. A lot of the sequences work incredibly well. Like the shot overhead of the velociraptors coming through the grass mm-hmm. to the people. Like things like that. Yeah. The waterfall and it slowly turns red as the window gets eaten up. There's a lot of great shots, great moments in this. So yeah, I'll give it 3.5. Entertaining. All right, Jurassic Park 3, which came out in 2001. Joe Johnston was the director, so Spielberg has departed from the franchise at this point. The writers are Peter Buckman and Alexander Payne. It's so weird that Alexander Payne wrote this. Yeah, it is. It's so odd that he's in there. Um, And then the box office, uh, another substantial drop from the previous film, 181 million domestic and then 368 Mm -hmm. million worldwide. That is very, 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 very low. Compared mm-hmm. to, like, look at the original. It, it cracked a billion overall in its full run. This one didn't even make it to 400 worldwide. Like, yeah, tragic fall from... from and that's <laughs> because of the, the abysmal, like, people just didn't like The Lost World. And also, Steven Spielberg isn't back for this. The writers aren't back for this. Michael Crichton had nothing to do with this. Mm-hmm, not oh, based on the book. I forgot to say something Lost about The Lost was... World. I forgot to say something about The Lost World. Do you care if I spoil the Jurassic Park book, or do you not want me to spoil it? Um, is it that they killed Ian Malcolm and then they brought him back? Yes. Yeah. They just killed him, and then they made the movie, and people loved Jeff Goldblum. And Steven Spielberg said, I need you to write a second book, and Jeff Goldblum <laughs> has to be the main character. But he died in the book, so they just brought him back to life in the prologue of But how'd they do the it? Lost how'd they wreck on him? They just said they took him to a hospital and revived him. Nice. He was like dead, dead in the book. Like he was like dead, dead. What happened? Was his like throat God, eaten out remember. or something? Like what was the thing? Let me look it up. What's crazy that in the book, well, actually I won't spoil any more of the book because I want you to experience it as you read it. But yes. how does Ian Malcolm die in the book? Yeah, you let me know that. But it is interesting. Jurassic Park 3 doesn't feature Ian Malcolm at all. Instead, it okay. features Alan Grant. He has like the injuries that he does in the movie where he gets like attacked by the dinosaur. And uh, one of the characters that's in the book is not in the movie gives him morphine to like help with the pain. And he just does rants about science and philosophy like he does in the movie. (laughs) And then by the end of it, he's just dead naturally from his injury. Oh, gotcha. So he just dies from like the wound he receives that he also gets in the movie. But it's more severe in the book, I think. I mean, it's Mm. actually pretty bad in the movie. Like his leg is completely slashed. True. But, yeah. but he just survives it in the movie. I guess that makes sense. I thought it was something like the man gets absolutely mauled yeah. and then they have to go back. It's not and a completely his... terrible rewrite. Like, yeah. But he's like dead, dead by the end of the book. They're like, Malcolm didn't make it. And I don't even know if there's a bit where they like put his body on a helicopter. Like they had, he had to come back and rewrite it of like, oh, and they grabbed his body and they took him to like a secret hospital that InGen has. And then they revived him mm-hmm. and brought him back. To like, like that's how they rewrote it. And then, like, the beginning is he's chilling at a hotel after Jurassic Park, like, like uh, recovering from his injuries. I think that's how they started off, if I remember correctly. I only started that book. I didn't read the whole Lost World. Gotcha. But, yeah, this one, no Ian Malcolm. Instead, we have Alan Grant as the main character, and we get a few scenes with uh, Laura Dern as Ellie Sattler. But yeah. 
overall, this one, not really about a park at all, just returning to Ooh. Site B as a sort of rescue mission mm-hmm. for a kid that Alan Grant gets duped into. Uh, so what are your overall thoughts on this? Let's try and make it pretty quick. And most of my thoughts are simply just pointing out some of the stupid things that happen in the plot because it really so, it gets real dumb towards yeah. the end. So very concisely, I'm going to point out what I really like and then also what I really, really don't like. So the thing I really like is, A, it's dinosaurs. Still great. <laughs> Still works. Lands it perfectly for me. Love dinosaurs. <laughs> B, Spinosaurus. Cool. I really like it. I think the animatronic works really well. I think it's very scary looking. I love the shot where they're at the fence and they have like the reaction shot and they turn around. The Spinosaurus is just standing there staring at them. And he's that was a great scary. shot. Yeah, that That's was a great shot. And the Spinosaurus, uh, I agree, is great. I love that they yeah. like took the T-Rex, killed it, and then it's like, yeah, this is the big bad for this one. But yeah, the Spinosaurus. The last thing I really like is the very first action sequence they have while they're on the island. When they first land the plane and then they're... They do the bit where they're trying to take off and the guy is like, we're trying to wave him down. He's like, you got to move. You got to move. And it's like the tense of like, is he going to hit him? And then very predictably, the the Spinosaurus runs out and eats him and there's blood on the windshield. And then that turns into them crash landing the plane and the Spinosaurus eats the front off of it and then eats the other guy. And then they all crash down and they're running from the Spinosaurus and then a T-Rex shows up and then they battle it out. <laughs> I thought that was the only good action set piece. I, I genuinely thought it was good. I thought it was executed well. I thought it had a very good climactic ending and I thought it was believable and I thought it was actually like suspenseful to watch the rest of it. No bueno. Yeah. I agree with you there about that opening part as well. I love the fact that they land on the Island and then the first sign Mm -hmm. of trouble, they're like, Oh crap, we got to get out of here. And then they immediately get in the plane and they try to leave, but then they just get stuck there. So I love that this time they wanted to go there, but then immediately said, no, let's get out of here. And then we're prevented from doing so. You know what? I changed my mind. There is another good action sequence. I think it's the last time you see the Spinosaurus when they're fighting in the water. Mm-hmm. I think that works for me too. The rain is pouring down. They're stuck on the boat. The Spinosaurus knocks them down into the water and starts to drown them. They're fighting for the phone to get to Ellie. I don't like how it cross cuts between the kid watching Barney the dinosaur and then the Spinosaurus <laughs> attacking them. I feel like as like, you know, there are tra- they're trying to play in the humor of that. I still feel like it just takes away from a really cool action sequence, which is the Spinosaurus going full crazy on them. If they had put that in like a lesser sequence, it would have elevated that lesser sequence because it would have been funnier. But this, I feel like just takes away from an already really good action sequence, which is the Spinosaurus attacking them. And then that builds into him shooting the flare onto the oil, which puts up the giant fire, which looks really cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, you have uh William H. Macy climbing the, the cage things like distract it. I think that all worked really well for me, except for the part where, they're like, she's like, you can't leave me yet. And then he like comes up out of the water. He's like, baby, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> like, it's just so cheesy. Their whole, yeah. his, their whole character, the Kirby family. <laughs> and uh, just, just very, very cheesy. Agreed. Yeah. I don't know if I agree about that. I, uh, that you didn't like it that much action set piece being good. I think moments of it, I can sort of like, like the visual of the oil being put on fire and then the mm-hmm. Spinosaurus is there. I think that's pretty cool, but. Everything before that, I don't know if I really was feeling any of the suspense from it, um, which could also play into I didn't really care about the characters that much beside Alan Grant. That's a good point. Um, but yeah, so just to talk about that for a moment, the Kirby family, aside from the kid, I just hated them. I just did not yeah. like them, especially 
the wife. I don't know why they oh, wrote yeah. her this way, but they made her so annoying and neurotic and clueless and just grating. It's absurd. Like she, she sees the dead body of what is supposed mm -hmm. to be her friend and then immediately freaks out and starts running away into I the dinosaur infested No, no it's not just her friend. That's her like boyfriend. Is that true? That's the man. Yeah, because remember they they do that's a bit where they, they like they mention his name and then they mention the fact that they've been divorced, implying that she's dating this man. And all three of them went on vacation, and then the boyfriend and the son went up in the air. That's what led to this mm -hmm. all happening. But like that's like the man that she's currently dating and has been dating for presumably months if they're on a vacation with her son now. Right. And like it's his dead corpse stripped completely of skin and flesh. Mm -hmm. and like you know yeah. it's him like i get that she's scared but she does just run off and then like does not stop running yeah and just keeps, like, running, keeps, running, running, keeps running despite knowing again major danger in this forest and then he's like mm -hmm. stop like oh uh, like i'm sorry about the dude whatever ben. his name is yeah. she's immediately sorry. like i don't care about she's like it's not the, that guy my boyfriend for months or whatever it's my she's also he's dumb out there. dumb writing you yeah. should be affected by that. Like it was a good reveal of the body. It was like a Spielberg reveal, kind of like the the body springing out in very Raiders true. at the beginning. It was very Spielberg esque, and that's what Johnston does a lot in the movie as director. Is he's very much honing Spielberg, and it works sometimes really well. Mm -hmm. But like her running away was just out of out of like nowhere, just completely bonkers, bizarre, stupid. And then like because that's like supposed to build into the moment where they not only kind of like have a reconnecting moment for their characters to build up to them reconnecting as a couple but also it's supposed to lead to their discovery of the velociraptor eggs which right. a i don't know why that was a surprise to them that there are eggs on the island it's not like they know that they can't reproduce it's not, it's not mm -hmm. like they were there in the first movie when they learned about that so i don't know why they saw eggs and were like oh dr Grant has to see these eggs right. these eggs here this is something he needs to see mm -hmm. like you think that they would just see him and go oh look there's eggs and walk away true yeah that very dumb that part doesn't make sense and that plays into like the whole eggs thing and the student that alan I hate brings that along so much. I hate it so which much. i also yeah it's it my was, least favorite arc in the movie just bad it was an annoying character no you knew where he was going from the beginning and again the arc itself of like going from oh he took the eggs because he was trying like kind of being selfish but then because he wanted yeah. to fund the uh excursions or whatever they do with the dig sites then he he's tries a great to character a building up to that arc like like he's he's there he's a student but there's no like hint of him being like selfish in any way right or making then, just a stupid stupid decision like that yeah obviously dumb decision which he should know better if he's a student of alan grant and is also yeah. learning about dinosaurs and whatnot and then again they, they like make him out to be a savior which again isn't like that powerful at the end of the day but then he also doesn't even die so it's, yeah he's like, just alive out so yeah that was kind of weird um and then so some major stupid things in the aviary scene again picking on mrs kirby here he goes oh my god it's a bird cage and she goes for what why would they write that why would they have her say that you, the actress should have been like no one is this stupid like hello yeah come on for a dinosaur so dumbass <laughs> like dude, we're on a dinosaur on. island what do you think it's for crows what are you talking about? It's always going to be a pterodactyl. Like, come on, my guy. And then it was a pteranodon. Thank you very much. Yeah, whatever. The spinosaurus. I do really like. I love the reveal of the pteranodon, though. As much as I don't really like the pteranodon sequence, when he's like walking down the bridge, 
and he like he feels like the the shake of the thing and he doesn't know what it is because there's a bunch of fog and then the pteranodon walks out and it's giant i do like that yeah that is cool and then like later well, on the when they just kick it stupid. they kick it in the beak yeah <laughs> as they're running right it's hilarious um but yeah in the actual spinosaurus fight another thing i didn't really like is he just kind of bounce like a portion of the lake is on fire my man can swim and can walk around i don't know why he didn't just go around and then take the mofos out um so that seems strange and then that was just it that was the last time we saw the spinosaurus the whole time like that was the climax was him getting scared off by a little bit of fire he should have at least um, been burned a little bit exactly to scare him off um so yeah that was that was sort of strange didn't make any sense and then this whole velociraptor the payoff to this stuff also is stupid and makes no sense so the velociraptors are there they know they have the eggs they have them surrounded they're kneeling down before the velociraptors and then they go mm -hmm. up to mrs kirby and they're like looking at her and inspecting her and they want her to give the eggs back which makes no sense why is that the case because like they cause... know she's a bitch <laughs> just because she's like it doesn't make sense because she's a mother they can she's a woman. smell it on her they know who has the eggs they literally know so why would they do that yeah. and then alan grant passes the eggs to her, to her for her to put down in front and then then so that should be how it ends right they get the eggs back but no then alan grant also pulls out the little 3d skull of the velociraptor starts doing a raptor call which yeah. i don't know why does he know what how to communicate in the raptor language I like how Obviously he not. does it once and they're like no that's the wrong word do help and then he does it as if you would know. know as if you would know what it is <laughs> exactly I mean, they do or how to they make do it. add in the part where the velociraptor is trapped in the cage part and it does help so i guess he does know what it sounds like but how do you go from knowing what it sounds like to be able to replicate it perfectly on a 3d printed velociraptor like trachea exactly and it doesn't make sense why are you calling for help? Like, what is that meant to do? We see you. They know that you're the one making the noise. You're calling for help from the Velociraptors that are putting you in danger. It's not like they're going to think it's a Velociraptor miles away that needs help. They know it's you. They see you. They're looking at you. Yeah. They can hear it's he coming from just you. Done the, uh, he should have just done the Chris Pat Pratt pose where he has, like, both hands <laughs> out. And he's like, shh, shh, You know me. You know me. You know me. And then he like pets the nose and he like does the little like the 3D thing. I hope he does that in the new movie. I hope he comes out and he pulls out the little thing and he does that to cool, to calm down Blue. I think that'd that be would funny. be funny. But yeah, it makes no sense why he would A, use the thing to call, why he would call for help. And then the call for help doesn't even change anything. It's the helicopters that spook the Velociraptors away who bounce. And that was the also yeah. stupid thing. He makes the call to Ellie. And it's like, sight be the river, sight be the river. Worst directions ever. How is she supposed to know what the heck's going on there? But she, on the phone, she's like, oh, I can't hear you. Like, I don't know what's going on. And then they get sucked down into the water, and then it the call drops. But apparently, mm -hmm. she was able to discern what his message was. Contact yeah. the U.S. military, U.S. embassy. And then they believed her and also thought it was a worthwhile expense. And they send the full might of the U.S. military over to that <laughs> island I mean, what else like are the they doing? Full Marines, the helicopters, everyone's coming in just to yeah. save these people. That which again, they she didn't, didn't know do where for they the were, kid in the beginning was. of the movie. They which, already yeah, went. They, they already went to the embassy and asked them to intervene, and they didn't. But the second Alan Grant is on the island, they're willing to go get him. Talk which about makes white no privilege. sense because <laughs> they're all white. The, <laughs> they're all white. The, there's only one white kid on that island. It's not <laughs> enough white people. You need more. Now there's four. Let's send them all in. Get them in. Which send also in four no aircraft carriers. Send in why Marines. 
why would they do it for Alan Grant? He's just a random paleontologist. They would never do something like that for some random citizen. What is and why would Ellie they listen Sadler's to Ellie Sadler? What, did, what was his husband's profession again? I don't know. Yeah, does she Maybe have some they built that in some way. Maybe they like reference the fact that he's like connections in higher places, and maybe that's how they do it. But mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember. I don't even remember what he does for a living. I remember him being like, like powerful in some way, but enough to get the entire might of the military to go to an island off of Costa Rica. Like, come yeah, on, bruh. Come, come on, bruh. And then at the very, very end, they're leaving, and then what they see the machina pterodactyls or pteranodons or whatever are leaving the island and they comment on it are they leaving the island to go where to isla nublar like the original island or off the islands completely to costa rica or something because that's yeah. terrifying shouldn't they and shoot they those down yeah and they say like beautiful. oh look at look at what they're doing it's amazing like no that is not good at all like and also they were never in the end of lost world we see a pteranodon or a pterodactyl so it's not like these birds these creatures weren't already out like they yeah. were already out and about so it's not like they were confined to the island and couldn't have left before i forgot about that good point why are we now treating it like oh this is a beautiful thing they're out of the aviary the bird cage and now they can go what to the coast and attack mm-hmm. random people there like that's yeah. it makes no sense it's just makes no there sense. is no there's no like sci-fi elements to this one at all Again, there's no overarching themes or commentary to be had. And if they do try and venture into it, it's a horrible message because they want the yeah. pterodactyls or pteranodons to what be free Thrive. to attack us at the like in the mainland. Like, come on. They're flying to form nests on our home world. <laughs> exactly. Like it makes yeah, that whole part was annoying. So I really like classic Alan Grant in this. I like the references that the kid makes to um grant and malcolm's books i thought that was pretty fun um but yeah the kirby family was grading the student was annoying what did you think of mr udesky he was okay at best and forgettable i thought he was awesome and i'm really sad they killed him off so quick again it was one of those things that you knew was gonna happen i did think his one line of i mean of course we're gonna search for your kid in the direction he's going that was pretty fun that's great Um, i do think he's awesome like i think the way he looks is cool He's got that like nerdy aspect, but like a little bit built to make him look kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Kind of like, uh, kind of like, uh, what was I going to say? There's a character like that in, uh, what's it called? All Good Men. What is it called? What are you talking about? <sighs> Fuck. You Good Men? Tom Cruise movie. The Tom Cruise movie is a lawyer. A few good men. Thank you. There's a character like that in A Few Good Men where he's like really nerdy looking, but also he's like the most dangerous person in the military. <laughs> And he's just super cool and confident in the movie, even though in the end, I, mean, I won't spoil it for you, but he has a very sad ending. But uh, yeah, like, like it, I don't know. He has this like Mr. Udesky just has this like nerdy aspect about him, but he's just like decked out in military garb that he makes. I think the addition of William H. Macy as someone who's even nerdier looking in his polo shirt definitely helps. Mm-hmm. But I liked him and I'm sad that they killed him off so quickly. I wish he had yeah. had more time. Wow. So you're very pro Udesky. Yep. Um, I'm not. I was fine with it. Okay. Okay. How many poached raptor eggs out of five are you giving? I'm going to give it a solid two. Wow. I'm going to give it a two as well. We're in agreement with all of our, all of our films. We actually agreed. So yeah, that is actually going to give it a two and a half. And then talking about it and really thinking about it. The only good part is like those two action sequences that I liked and only one for you. And then just the fact that there are dinosaurs and that Sam Neill's in it. Yeah. 
those are yeah that's it. the positives and then everything else is like very very negative also i hate i hate how they get alan grant to go back to the island but like tricking they him? have a whole bit no they have a whole bit where he's doing a lecture and he says there is nothing on this planet that would get me back to the islands and then they just offer him a blank check that he could write anything he want on and he goes oh money sure i'll go back to the island how stupid is that? At least for right. Ian Malcolm to go back, his girlfriend's on the island. Like, there's no money that'll get him there, but he has to go on a rescue mission to save his girlfriend because he knows how dangerous it is. Mm-hmm. Alan Grant just goes back for cash. What a fucking <laughs> sellout. Wow, that's true. Well, technically, though, he didn't go back to that island. He went back Doesn't to Site matter, B bro. that he was never at in the first place, and he thought he was going to fly over it, not actually land there. He Still. never wanted to land there. But Sell I agree. Out. Sell out. Yeah, they, they do a whole bit away. where like he says, like, I can't believe you convinced me to do this to like the college student. But I don't remember a single scene where the college student says, come on, man, we got to do this. I'm pretty sure it's just we'll write you a check for anything. And then Alan Grant nods his head and then he's on the plane. Right. I think maybe we'll I know. I think the student was who put him in touch with the Kirby family. Maybe that's what he meant. Is there a, is there a bit? Well, well, what happens is they're at the dig and the Kirby show up. And the Kirby's are like, we want to make a pitch to you. And he's hesitant. And the college student is like, let's hear him out. But also, like, is there a bit where they say, like, the the dig is being underfunded? Is that part of it? Well, that's definitely part of it, yeah. Like, the reason he does it like, isn't do just for money. That? It's because, yeah, explicitly he says, like, we can, like, write this check and then you'll be able to have your dig site stay for however long you want. Like, he, I still think Alan Grant isn't doing it just for the money. He's doing it so that he can continue with the dig sites and his students will be able to participate and whatnot. I still um, think but, realistically, yeah. character-wise, Alan Grant would not go to that island, not even a flyby for anything after the events of Jurassic Park and then the San Diego incident in the Lost World. Like, I think he's learned enough to know. And also, if it's true that Pteranodons could not go to the island before, then he just released them by going back. So he I know, made the same mistake that they made in the Lost World. Like he went back not only for his own safety, but for the safety of the world. Like he's like, we should just leave them there and let them exist there and just keep them there isolated. And nobody goes there and they don't come to us. And then he goes there and then releases the Pteranodons on to the population. Like just, just opens the cage and they get out. And he thinks it's beautiful. Bullshit. <laughs> agreed that's it's dumb terrible. and even the more egregious way that they you know destroy his character alan grant's character in this is at the beginning of the film he still he never married ellie Sadler. he never had kids with that, her she went off that. with someone else and so now that whole arc in the original jurassic park where he's supposed to learn how to be a father be that fatherly figure learn to love kids and whatnot so that he can be with ellie for life they just do away with that He's still just a sad, lonely man that doesn't like kids. But then somehow I don't has mind to get thrown into kids. I just wish they had a bit where they talked about their relationship early in the movie, like what went wrong, like mm-hmm. not even like super explicitly, just like, just like like maybe even like a throwaway line where they just like address the fact that they're not together and that it's sad because they were so in love. But maybe some kind of thing happened that just split them apart. Maybe. Alan became obsessed with like reporting on Jurassic Park, but even even then, Ian was the one who did that in the Lost yeah. World, not Alan. So it just doesn't make sense. I just yeah. At least sucks. they'll get back together in Dominion or something. 
Yeah. I was like, if I was Probably writing Dominion, A, I would kill off Ellie Sattler's husband. He has cancer or something. <laughs> he's dead before the movie starts. B, they totally get back together by the end. And if they don't, sure. bad movie. Bad movie. They deserve <laughs> to end up together. I don't mind that she had kids with someone else, but they deserve to fall in love. And then he gets to be the pseudo parent to her kids. He gets to be the, he's not the stepdad, Ryan. Mm-hmm. He's the dad who stepped up. <laughs> wow. If that doesn't describe Alan Grant perfectly, I don't know. Shout out to Carlos Irizarry, who I stole that joke from. I want, uh, he, he, he's I the thing he about stealing it, jokes. But he, nice. he populated it in our friend group. So I want, <laughs> I want to shout out him for showing me that joke. Because I'm not a joke thief. I'm just a joke reteller. Indeed. Well, at least it was a yeah. good one. Okay, so, so there we go. A five star Jurassic for Park Jurassic Five Park. Stars. God damn you. Jurassic <laughs> Park five stars from both of us. Lost World three and a half stars from both of us. Jurassic Park three, two stars from both of us. They do get worse, ladies and gentlemen. That is all the time we have. If you'd like to give your thoughts on the show or make suggestions for the movie of the week, you can email us at theboxofficeshow at gmail.com. That's theboxofficeshow at gmail.com. Our main title theme for the show is Sundown by Joseph McDay. Be sure to tune in next week. We're doing another special on the three Jurassic World movies. That's Jurassic World, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, and Jurassic World Dominion out this weekend. So tune in for that. It'll be awesome.